0: never sleepers welcome back you're listening to ross never sleeps on never sleeps network.com i'm your host alex ross lots of great chats coming up on rns including sarah starkman jj lieberman with amish patel and jeremy woodcock in this episode i chat with the always funny chris Locke. we discuss his recent album release called demons are eating my head his love for indian food his upcoming tour with Sarah Hennessy and Tom Henry, and we also discuss his podcast, Utopia to Me. Chris's podcast is where he chats with comedians about their ideal planet. Be sure to check out the episode with NSN's Nick Beaton from This Is Not a Safe Space. Speaking of utopias, or rather dystopias, this episode was recorded the day after Donald Trump was elected into office. And needless to say, Chris and I were in a very interesting mood. Not often do you get to hear me or even Chris talk about politics. It was definitely a treat. Be sure to catch Chris in Halifax this week at the Company House this Thursday, November 17th and 18th. And then in Kingston, November 23rd, Cornwall, November 24th and Montreal, November 25th with Sarah Hennessy and Tom Henry. And be sure to tune in every week to neversleepsnetwork.com for original comedy podcasts and this episode of Chris Locke on Ross Never Sleeps. Baby wipes are just, like... Okay, Kevin Smith has, like, been a big, like, supporter of baby wipes for older men. Yeah. We just call them baby wipes, but they're good for all overall kind of hygiene in the washroom. Yeah. I literally buy buy it by the box from, uh, from Costco.
1: No, I get it now. I have a baby, and I've used a baby wipe to wipe my face after a sandwich. Right. And it was great.
0: And the trick is if... You really want to get a good clean on because you have a beard, let's say. Yeah, a nice which I did at the time. Baby wipe under some hot water. Yeah. And then your face. It's like, am I in a spa?
1: It's like your face is as clean as a
0: baby's bottom. I mean, you would hope so. Can I drink this or that's is it for weird? You. No, no, that's for you.
1: <laughs> I don't trust it.
0: <laughs> Can
1: you give me a sealed...
0: No, I'm just Uh So, let's talk about your young baby. How old is she now? Seven and a half months. Holy smoke. So, like, growing like crazy. Yeah. And where is she, like, right right now?
1: Like, in this planet? Sure. Uh, with my wife, Kathleen, they went to, a, like, a kids' play zone. Okay, cool. Called Acorns and Apples or something like that. Oh, like a cool downtown. Mm, we're in High Park area, so that's actually in the junction.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. You're from Toronto. Mm-hmm. So, what part did you grow up? before you moved down so down. beaches
1: till i was about seven and then etobicoke until i was about 19
0: whoa that's kind of like one half of the city to the other half yeah. of the city
1: when i grew up in etobicoke when i was growing up there my real dad because of a divorce still lived in the beaches so i would traverse across the city a lot
0: having spend a...
1: time with him and in the etobicoke the area is like Roy york and bloor ish royal york and dundas area
0: Having lived in all these different parts of the city, do you find that you're a West End guy? Do you miss the beaches?
1: Yeah, I really like the beaches, but I think ultimately I'm a West End guy because now my wife and I live in High Park and it's really comfortable. And yeah, I don't know how I'd live in Toronto anymore if it if we weren't so near the park. It's a, a real savior.
0: What's, you know, the highlights about High Park?
1: Um, you can go deep into the park and not see any of the city.
0: Right. (laughs) It's almost like city pollution. Yeah. And when you go into the park, you avoid the pollution of the city.
1: Yeah, it's, like, calming. Um, There's a giant pond. There's ducks everywhere. It's very nice. There's a zoo with, like, uh, yaks and
0: stuff. Yeah, there's a petting zoo. Yeah. You're now a father. So, did you ever think you'd Mm -hmm. be spending your days in High Park (laughs) avoiding the city? Or did did this kind of come about ever since you had a daughter?
1: Well, before I even had a daughter... Um, even though I'm from the city, uh, I grew up going to a camp in Algonquin Park, and then we also had a cottage, so I have this weird desire to be like in the woods all the time.
0: <laughs> I, I, so you
1: have to be in the city for business, of course, but otherwise I would love to be live in a cave by myself with shredded old clothes and a giant beard.
0: Yeah, you talk about that in your act a lot. Yeah. And, you know, your podcast, which we'll touch on, Utopia, to me, we kind of get an idea of even though you don't necessarily answer your own utopia, you get little pieces out from every time you tell people that you don't talk about it, <laughs> yeah. you piece it all together. And even when you talk to Kathleen in an episode, you and your wife do, it's pretty apparent. You love the outdoors, ultimately. If you we have, have to, similar
1: right. desires in that way, yeah.
0: So, do you see yourself as an outdoorsy guy, though? Or are you an indoorsy guy that just appreciates well, the outdoors? I
1: want to be more outdoorsy than I am, for sure. I think that's the problem with me, is that... Um, I'm not naturally the type of guy I want to be. So that's (laughs) my frustration. And I think that's where a lot of my comedy comes from. Um, Like, for example, we on our honeymoon, we stayed in this cabin way up north, like north of Sundridge that didn't have electricity or running water, just gas uh, lamps. And uh, so we had this like wooden stove that we would use to stay warm at night. And my fires never stayed lit for more than five minutes, two minutes even. And Kathleen could build amazing fires that would burn all night. So I was like, damn it. Like I couldn't, it made me realize like if I was stuck outdoors or whatever, doing being the guy I really want to be, I couldn't even keep a fire going. I'd lose my mind. Kathleen
0: sounds like a, a renaissance woman.
1: She definitely is. Yeah, she can light fires and write... books (laughs)
0: is she writing a book
1: no but she's like she writes for tv right and and she does write short stories which are incredible i think she should write a book yeah
0: do you ever write for tv as well
1: um i have in little patches mostly like not scripts but like joke stuff you know i was a guest writer on strombo for a week which was pretty fun cool and with uh, ali and nobu uh were they
0: there during that time uh nobu was yeah great Mm -hmm. that's a cool just atmosphere to be in
1: yeah he rules
0: oh yeah nobu totally rules
1: and uh fraser young was there Eric oh, Toth, wow. who are brilliant uh
0: writers love sign and, uh did you say fraser young fraser or? young yeah, yeah love fraser
1: yeah um also i don't know oh yes i wrote like some sketches i did on like mtv and much music and stuff like that
0: and you actually act with kathleen you've been on a couple episodes almost about four episodes on mr d the same time that she was recently casted onto mr yeah d.
1: well I, w- I worked with graham chittenden on uh, this mtv show called showtown and we worked together a bit and uh, have good chemistry and Luckily, Graham knows that I'm really funny, so he was a writer on Mr. D for two seasons, and those were the two seasons that uh, they got me in there to be her husband. That's amazing. And then this season, I don't think Graham was writing on the show, and I didn't get in there as her husband. Aww. Yeah, so Dude. I wonder if that's connected. <laughs> i have no idea
0: did you uh but she, she
1: kills it on the show Oh, she She's really amazing. does there's yeah. this one
0: episode where she steals the song from her fellow colleague and yeah. owns it and then i don't know kathleen personally i don't know you very personally we bumped into each other a few times yeah but i feel like her acting is so on point like it's so real like you get it like that kind of sarcasm or that kind of quick wit probably extends to her everyday life with you
1: in real life she's pretty quiet oh wow she's mellow i mean we joke around and have big laughs for sure but it's not like that 24 7 like i'm the big goof and she's the thinker how did you two meet uh, well, we've been doing comedy together forever, since the early 2000s. So,
0: Laugh, Laugh Sabbath is kind of where you met?
1: Yeah, exactly. Do, but before Laugh Sabbath, even, we had these uh, regular shows called, like, Righteous Wednesdays. And, uh, she, yeah, she started doing character stuff, I think, just before that. And Brian Barlow, who was my old sketch partner and really funny guy, had a show, monthly show called The Loner Show.
0: And you guys did the Gurg.
1: Yeah, we did the Gurg, right. And then he also... Uh, to switch it up, did the loner show, and that was like solo character-driven comedy. And so she started really because she was an actor first, didn't know she's going to be a comedian, but she's obviously so damn funny. Yeah, started doing these character pieces that like blew everyone away, and we we're like, damn it, this is incredible. Like we're stupid, you know. And so then she just started becoming a part of every show consistently all the time, and for years we didn't have a romantic connection. Obviously, we were just good friends working together all the time and laughing and we were in different relationships and then uh yeah years ago we found ourselves like single at the same time and just couldn't stop hanging out together basically
0: how did you court her
1: we actually uh went to a friend's uh emily mover's album release party at the end of 2010 yeah i don't know it was interesting (laughs) it was like a very romantic night and lots of also drinks
0: And lots of also drinks. (laughs) Yeah, Did you get to share a trailer together when you were on Mr. D?
1: No, actually. And in fact, it's funny that I even got a trailer because I had such a bit role. Like I was just this weirdo that would just show up. (laughs) I I barely even had like a B-plot length of a... I think there was one episode where I have sort of a B-plot where I kept bothering trudy at the office but other than that i wasn't really i'd just show up in one scene and be like a weirdo that's
0: a that's awesome though it's a great cast you're amongst like local legends mark little jonathan torrens mm-hmm. uh, you know jerry d of course your wife darren rose darren
1: rose uh, I yeah think emma, uh, emma hunters on the show in the last few seasons too
0: what's it like just uh, hanging suresh.
1: out should we i got to do a scene with suresh
0: what's it like hanging out with this crew
1: well, everyone's just so lovely. And uh, especially that they filmed in Halifax, it's just like a really down earth, earth easygoing crew. You know, sometimes in Toronto, it can be a little high-strong uh, on sets.
0: Why do you think that is, though? Why do you think Halifax is a lot more easygoing, not just in lifestyle, but just kind of in the industry compared to Toronto?
1: Um, it's literally just because it's a smaller maritime town, town, I think. Literally, it's like you know Toronto is just like a buzzing beehive of business.
0: Do you wish that you could almost be in Toronto and have everything that Toronto has to offer, but it acted like Halifax?
1: Yeah, well, I wish I lived in the woods. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's... no, but you
1: know what? I I, I gotta say, I, I I've I did a few roles uh, on this first season, but also now the second season of Baroness von Sketch, and that. Uh, is all toronto and that is like the loveliest set i've ever been on bar none not just the writers and creators of the show are lovely but the whole like the directors the producers everyone that i came in contact with it was just a really fun time so i really could say to everybody right now not like just go and love that show baroness von sketch because the humor is really amazing but also the way uh, it created uh, work and treated the people. It's really amazing. Yeah. I met
0: Aurora Brown yeah. uh, at the comedy, the Canadian Comedy Awards this past weekend. And she's an absolute sweetheart. Came yeah. up to me, introduced herself, just was so nice. Had no idea who I was, was just joining the conversation. So even for that reason alone, I was like, yes, good people doing good production. You got to support it. CBC right now is just killing it. Are you involved with the, the CBC comedy movement at all right now?
1: um not really <laughs> but it's happening i bet some of your, uh, aside a of your from friends being like uh, an actor in and baroness on sketch not really yeah oh
0: yeah but that's still a direct connection yeah, I, so the second season you're gonna be in it,
1: we'll see how many sketches make it i filmed four and then yeah last year i filmed two but one only got on air but yeah
0: i have another one that you're a part of for cbc that you may not remember terrific women
1: Right. I got a small role at the end of that.
0: (laughs) First of all, that's still awesome, dude. uh, You have
1: to understand, like, that was lovely, too. Those guys are my close, close friends.
0: Let's praise them. And, And I'm telling you that these little roles is almost like they're just as valuable, especially for your type of acting, your type of kind of in and out, like quick, funny, like, you make a lot of impact with less in a sense, not to say that you couldn't do those bigger roles, but when I see that you're doing a spot on something, I'm like, I'm definitely going to watch this. And when I saw that you on your Instagram and you were posting on set with Terrific Women, I was just so super excited. You look great for the part. You had your mustache. <laughs> I had a
1: mustache and an afro. I looked like my dad in the 70s. Oh,
0: isn't that scary yeah. when you get to an age, you're like, oh my God, I'm my father.
1: Yeah, well, he didn't have the mustache uh, for the rest of his life that I knew him. And now that I'm clean shaven, I really look like them. Like, oh, it's wow. crazy. Like, yeah, the, the one I grew up that I remember, yeah.
0: Well, congrats to Steph and Sarah. Well deserved. Yeah. Excited to see Terrific yeah, Women. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. Did you get to act with... You're
1: right. Ter- between Terrific Women and Baroness Von Sketch, it's pretty freaking solid.
0: Yeah, dude. You're, yeah. you're a part of the CBC comedy movement, whether you like it or not, Chris. <laughs> uh, did I you just get- want my own show. That's all. It's going to happen, dude. No question. Mm-hmm. Whether it's here or another city, you know, like you just got to keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you have a lot of accolades. You're just building them. There's... Yes. In Toronto, it's hard to rush things. I've been doing comedy
1: in the city for 100 years.
0: (laughs) Well, you do look like your father. You're right. I get I see (laughs) the resemblance now. I have his tired eyes. (laughs) Did you get to uh, act with Phil Luzzi on Terrific Women at all? Yes. Oh, amazing. Just a quick
1: little funny high five scene. But yeah, Phil is the best.
0: Phil is the best. And there's a lot of amazing talent. Can you hear that? I like to break the fourth wall. I'm pouring water. (laughs) Drugged Um. water. So you're now doing podcasts. You've been doing them for a couple of years now, about a year and a half. Yeah.
1: It's hard to stay consistent with it because of schedules and people canceling and and, uh, and with the baby and family and stuff. You have a
0: large archive though. And and I don't think... Yeah.
1: And I think it's... That's the thing. I'd rather like each episode be complete quality than like panic and try and make one every single week if it's not going to be pure quality
0: take it from somebody who runs more than one show consistency is difficult but the ability to want to do more shows is even harder you know so the fact that you're interested in doing it i mean your concept is really interesting yeah Um, it's almost simple but but interesting like intricate so how did you come up with utopia to me
1: yeah it definitely cracks like sleeping parts of the brains of the people that i've had on and yeah, like what you were saying about trying, it's its hard to keep doing it. Like after the Scott Thompson one, I was like, damn it. We basically nailed it. It's That was perfect. I don't know how to go on. But then after that, I got a solid uh, hit run of like Mark Forward, Alex Pavone, Matt Bronger, Kate Berlant, and Jackie Cation. And I was like, whoa. And you know, this, those were like amazing episodes too. So it's like, you sort of like get overwhelmed and you're like, how do I top that you know like i can't just have any i don't know i can't just have anyone on like I, now that's how i feel but a, I, I, I digress from what you originally asked but i just wanted because you uh, no
0: well that's okay we're gonna go on yeah. some tangents it's a good feeling to have where do i go from here yeah. it's not that you have to top yourself but
1: i also travel a lot as a stand-up which kind of so is there there have been a few times where i've traveled with my gear and been like let's the uh, hook i'll get someone from vancouver or i'll get someone from you know, Winnipeg on or something, and then I don't have the time. And so I'm just traveling with the equipment and then I bring it home. Like I take it with me and I bring it back and it's just taking up room in my luggage. What kind of gear? It's just like a, a Zoom H4N and then two microphones and some wires and crap. But you know, when you're traveling light as a standup, like, it's still like junk taking up space. So that's kind of cut back on me. Like I there's definitely a ton of guys in Vancouver, guys and gals in Vancouver that I want to get on that I couldn't I didn't bring my stuff last time I was there, you know? So that sort of like slows down the process too. But the idea came from, this is stuff that I fixate on all the time. Really? My favorite like literature is honestly future dystopian literature. I'm not a super smart guy, but I'm like a super interested guy. And and I also think that what's the potential for comedians to get funny. And so it's like this both like intellectual sort of like, quest, but also like a room for insanely huge laughs and silliness. So I just like the potential of, of, uh, the world being open because I honestly, uh, live my life. Like, you know, everyone's like really, really most, well, everyone I know is really, really upset about the Trump victory, you know, in the election. And I, I am too, cause it's, pretty bizarre <laughs> very it's very dystopian. dystopian yeah and but there's a part of me this morning because this is i should say this is the morning after basically i think hillary's giving her concession speech right now but I would like. Do you do you not like dating these things? <laughs> no, them date. I'm, I'm not like that <laughs> I at all. I'm really like you. Be like mm-hmm. no, no, no. I'm listening,
0: <laughs> but I'm like you. I'm casual about this. I don't think yeah. this needs to have rules. You you even joke in some of your episodes yeah. when there's like humming noises happening next door. <laughs> you're like people. We live next to other people. Yeah. We live in a world, and I I used to stress about these things and I don't anymore and I want to talk to you about that because listening to yours has helped me realize just fucking do it just just don't worry well that's my
1: attitude about everything like even making shorts or uh, doing like a headliner stand-up set it's like no it's going to be a party and if it gets wild it gets wild and you incorporate everything that's why even when I do like radio shows I break the fourth wall all the time because it's like nope that's real in the moment who cares but what I wanted to say was With this insanely, seemingly dystopian Trump election now, that's... I I have to admit, I had a thought this morning. I was like, well, I never actually live in the world that I fully want. Anyway, it's like the world is not how I would want it to be.
0: Or what you expect it to be, yeah.
1: Even if Hillary wins, even uh, just the way the world is set up, it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like a guy that like barely got through high school because I just like partied all the time and did my own thing and dropped out of my, after my first year of university, like the whole world is a weird dystopia to me. Like I've never been able to fit in like intellectually that way anyways. What kind of party or or or
0: reasonably, what kind of party or were you in high school?
1: Well, I just wanted to have fun. My favorite thing in high school was to skip class, smoke weed with my friends and like make, like laugh to the max. Like. Use our imaginations and think of and like parody stuff and satirize stuff.
0: Is that where you kind of got this idea that you wanted to write, that you wanted to do comedy? I yes,
1: like not, but it was weird. Like in, in like weirdly enough, drama and English were my best marks, and uh, I and uh, I would like do really funny stuff, and of course, it was like a hundred percent what I wanted to do, hundred percent feeling good. But the way I was brought up and in the neighborhood I was brought up, it wasn't real. Like, you know, it wasn't like being like a lawyer or a doctor or a businessman or something. I thought I was being a, a screw up by pursuing those things. So, it wasn't until after I dropped out of university in my first year because I literally did nothing. I got one a philosophy credit. What school? Dalhousie.
0: Okay. Oh, you were in Halifax?
1: Yeah yeah i love halifax shout out to halifax i'm there next week doing two stand-up shows at the company house okay anyways so when i came home i was being a bum and then uh i got kicked out of my house uh completely reasonable if you go back in time you'll see that i was a shit and as i was kicked out of my house that's when i started doing open mics out of nowhere out of nowhere i don't even know why i just gravitated towards them and was like, yeah, I'm not going back to university. Interesting. Well, And then I you, took like Second City courses and all that shit.
0: How did you gravitate? Like, did you just walk by and been like, okay, I'm going to do this? I
1: literally don't know, you know? Who were you with? My friend Colin. We, we went and checked out a Open Mic because I wanted to. And we both signed up to do it. And then because the sign up was long, uh, it took about maybe three weeks for us to get on or four weeks. Oh, okay. It took quite a while. And so in that month or so we were both writing jokes like crazy, terrible, terrible jokes. And when it when the time came, uh Colin got nervous and I did it, and then that's the difference. Did
0: you get any laughs on your first go?
1: Yes. Wow. But I also did some terrible things too obviously do you have like i yelled too loud in the mic it hurt everyone's ears
0: i dropped down on the ground and no one could see me like it's so stupid stuff you don't realize until you're doing it often enough to understand yeah i had no idea about mic
1: control or how to like stand on stage nothing do you remember
0: any of those jokes
1: yeah I i i just basically did a physical joke where i said that I, the jenga commercial song made me want to break dance and so i imitated the jenga song <laughs> like it was a break dance song and then started break dancing to it <laughs> i can't remember much else yeah that's the one i remember the most probably because it it got the biggest
0: laugh this was all in dalhouse this is all in halifax
1: no this was in toronto after i been kicked back. out of my house and after i basically decided to drop out yeah
0: so you're living on the streets i
1: was living on my friend colin's couch and my parents are lovely people they were they've they're always su- supremely supportive we're just like polar opposites so that at that time they didn't understand me and i will admit i was being a shit you know
0: you're at like you're I,
1: I was a stoner drinking like i i had this romantic vision like i wanted to be like henry miller or something you know what i mean <laughs> Like, I wanted to go to Paris and just be a bum and write amazing, weird stuff. Are you still into the 420
0: arts these it, days? No,
1: no, I can't handle it. it. Makes you paranoid? Yeah. In fact, how much I smoked, I basically stopped around 21 years of age because I was, all I, all it would do is give me anxiety.
0: But you do like a few bevvies.
1: Yeah. yeah no i can still partake in either okay for sure it's just like gentlemanly styles
0: absolutely i think when you get older you realize you know you're not built like a teenager anymore and a lot will affect you even more paranoia than you ever thought you'd experience and a little goes a long way
1: yeah i had like five drinks close together in winnipeg recently about 2 weeks ago and i was a my body was a write off for 12 hours exactly and i had two shows that night so i had Whoa. To, i was just eating bananas chicken drinking tons of water being like we got to do this and the shows were amazing and sweaty but i i couldn't believe well I, granted like the
0: drinks were like gin and whiskey oh you're mixing it and up and some beer <laughs> yeah, I get sweaty too when I drink too much.
1: Maybe like five or six drinks, yeah. That's but back in the day, yeah, that was nothing, you know.
0: But it's sometimes, you know what I like about your podcast, you will sometimes have snacks with your guests. You'll sometimes yeah. have a few drinks with your guests. It's so casual and, and comfortable and yeah. that's why when I listen to it, I learn from it because, you know, doing this, you, you worry about the littlest things. You're always like, oh, was this good? I, or, or like you have a an hour or two l- hour long interview and then you leave you're like that was shit that was terrible and then you listen to it you're like oh no it wasn't that bad or somebody else listens to it but like shut up like it's good yeah do you ever like give them to kathleen and be like can you listen to this before i post it
1: i basically never listen to them oh wow yeah except you know i i skim them uh as i sort of edit to to, you know put it together the intro and the outro basically is all I attach to it like Drew Smith's amazing guitar track is always there at the beginning and end so I just have to fill it in yeah sometimes someone will request something to be edited and that's when I sort of skim through sure that is like what you're saying like I don't know if it's laziness or it is my true I like everything being raw and real that's how
0: I do it I call it the Neil Young method live off the floor it is what it is it's out into the universe
1: yeah when I first do a podcast um, what I do is I I take Kathleen out in a canoe, and then I have a left and right speaker in a different barn, and then I crank it, and that's how she hears the podcast.
0: Okay, so that's a hilarious joke to me, because you get it. I'm obsessed with Neil Young. So you know that story. I do know that story. He uh, did that
1: with who? David Crosby or Graham Nash? one of it was of those Nash. Guys. Yeah, I think yeah. it was
0: Nash, but it was the album Harvest, I believe. Yeah. And he's like, the left barn is the left speaker, the right barn is the right speaker. That's how much speaker amplify amplification he was using. And then they go out in the middle of the canoe on their. Because he owned a ranch, right? Like the like the old, the song "Old Man" yeah. is about. Can you be totally
1: self righteous if you're that indulgent? With, a bar- with two barns?
0: I mean, I I feel like Neil Young just creates these rules as he goes. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he thinks he's self-righteous or understands self-righteousness in himself, right? Uh, you know what I mean? I like, he just kind of lives. He, that's why I, uh, he's one of my idols. He just kind of goes. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, thinking about it. There's is no... It like,
1: stuff that he's made from the past, like, 20 years or so?
0: Sure. I mean, 20 years, yes. Like, stuff from the 90s, well, let's say. That's 30 say. years now, almost.
1: The, the good stuff from the 90s is over 30, isn't it? Oh, no, 20, 20, 20. 20. D- I'm 25. Never mind. <laughs> Twenty five, yeah.
0: Like I love mirror ball with Pearl Jam. I think that stuff, like fucking up, like is a great tune. And I think it's like a generational song about being a young guy learning from your mistakes, but when you're not actually learning from your mistakes, you know? Yeah. So, recently, Neil Young, a couple of years ago, played Way Home, that kind of famous Bonnaroo-style music festival that yeah. came to Ontario. Yeah.
1: My sister goes to that all the time. Oh, yeah. Great.
0: Right. Yeah. A younger sister. Yeah. Amazing. And he's with a new band called Promise of the Real, and as a, as a Neil Young, like, obsessor, I was like, "Oh, this is like th- this generation's Pearl Jam. This is going to be amazing." And actually, one of the Promise of the Real members is Willie Nelson's like son. Okay, so they are now touring with Neil, and they did "Fucking Up" as the final song, and I peed myself. Like I was just so ecstatic. I like in my head, my brain's like an archivist when it comes to Neil Young stuff. So mm-hmm. the fact that they just finally played that song, I was just like a release. It was almost like euphoric. Wow. So yeah, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. Thank you for that reference. We can actually—that's where the network name comes from. Never sleeps network. Oh yeah, is from Rust. Never sleeps. Yeah. And my show name, which you're on right now, is called Ross Never Sleeps, which wow. is my last name.
1: I didn't put it together.
0: I know it's not meant to be like in your face, but when you hear it, you're like, that makes sense. I never sleep. I not. That's one of my <laughs> questions too. I'm, I'm starting to ask
1: more. I and more guess. Yeah. But I have.
0: Cr- I have clunky sleeps. Are you up all night? Like, do you find yourself up until I four stay up late And then
1: uh, my baby, uh, Amy, my daughter, wakes up, uh, you know, different times in the morning needing stuff. So, yeah, I'm not getting the long sleeps that I would like, but it's also my fault, too, for going to bed still late at night. And I also think that I'm just uh, full of anxiety. So I'm always like waking up being like, ah. Yeah.
0: Do you ever try to meditate or? No, I should kind of like sometimes exercise. Will Kate help.
1: Berlant actually told me about this amazing app for the phone that I have to do. And I was, and I thanked her graciously. Like, I love it. It's called Headspace. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. And I, it's still staring at me on my phone. And this was August that she recommended it and I still haven't tried it. Right. I don't know what my problem is. I, th- I always feel like meditating. Yeah, but I got things to do.
0: I know, but like you if know? you're up in the middle of the night, it's not a perfect time to maybe meditate. Right. Think of it. <laughs> I'll I just think, as it. somebody who also struggles with sleeping, yeah, you know, sometimes Cross never sleep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. you know like i need to start using those hours a little bit more productively not to say that i'm not working or i'm not doing anything i'm not just like sitting in a chair watching tv even though those nights do happen yeah uh, i feel like yoga and meditation is something i need to explore a little bit more get a little bit more limber just a little you know I, it's just i feel like as i want to we do get yoga older, big time yeah yeah
1: i have a belly and i'm not really like a belly guy even though i joke about food i'm not as food insane as i joke about It's just because my guilt conscious, conscious, conscience fixates on when I do eat bad food. But I've got this belly and I can't effing, I don't understand why because I'm not, I'm exercising anyway. Cut out
0: alcohol. Zero. Only drink water.
1: What about the odd Guinness or the odd glass of white wine?
0: Sure. Odd. You know, but at the same... That's
1: basically how I drink now.
0: So then what do you think your belly I think it's from. from the
1: old days I think it's from literally uh at least three beers a night pizza and I think it's just stuck there and I sort of chip away at it but you know and I do indulge myself every now and then sure who doesn't yeah like I don't just eat greens and like tuna salads or like tuna mixed with greens you know what I mean like
0: well you joke about how Kathleen is like a super healthy person she eats salads she runs yeah you would think you know, maybe she gets one
1: of those skinny Cadbury Fruit and Nut chocolate bars, and it lasts for two weeks. Isn't
0: that weird? I'm like,
1: go to get out of here.
0: Go, go to get out of uh, here. Go to get out of here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand well, I almost who people. almost hell, <laughs> but I,
1: I would never want to even jokingly tell my wife to go to hell. Yeah,
0: I don't understand how people can open up something that's got a complete wrapper in it and then put it in the fridge. Yeah, you know, when you're like a quarter of the way through,
1: and then I'm looking at it like, I'll eat all that.
0: No problem. Yeah, no give question. it to me. I'm the same way. If I see something, it's gone. I can't. I, I you have to hide things. Or I can't have things in the house. You know, I need to eat super healthy in the house because the second I'm out of the house, I'm like, oh, pizza slice for two bucks. You <laughs> know, count me in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I get cravings, and I and I can't deny the cravings.
0: Well, we all know your biggest craving.
1: i have been thinking about it because I have friends that. Well, anyways, did you see what Chris Siddiqui put on my Facebook wall the other day? No. It's a video of an Indian roti being made.
0: <laughs> and,
1: and I was literally like, everybody was commenting on it. And I'm like, anyone, let's make a time. Let's go. What's your obsession with Indian food? Well, I think uh, obviously it's salty and creamy. Okay. Which is tasty. But the spice. I grew up in like... Um, a
0: bland household.
1: It's true. Very white and like uh, suburban. And my parents were working a lot. They're, they were just seriously classic white Canadian meat and potatoes, uh, which is great. What's your background? I don't know. Nothing. British? <laughs>
0: Canadian? Like what? Yeah.
1: Well, my real dad, my biological father's last name is St. Pierre, right? Okay. So that's obviously French. Um, <laughs> but when I would talk to the St. Pierre family, I'd be like, so we're from like our lineage goes back to France or something. And they'd be like, yeah, I guess like no one cared and then my my mom's is like yeah uh british
0: but who introduced you to indian food it's kind of funny because you're you have some british descent and there's a big connection to england and and india oh
1: yeah no it's not no but that's that's what i'm saying like both sides of the family they're like yeah i guess we're from there but it was like i think it's been canadian for very long generations so no one even cared about where they came from you know seriously like even my grandparents were like i don't know who wow who cares
0: we're, we're alive and we're here
1: my my mom's side of the family's from new brunswick and they were total maritimers that was the way they were you know and that that's just like french fries over oh, there yeah
0: that's their diet french fries and seafood
1: yeah fried seafood
0: fried anything fried yeah yeah
1: and so I don't know. There's there's something with the... Uh, I, I got to admit, and I've ta- talked to this with some of my Indian friends, too, because I do feel embarrassed. Like, as a white guy, I'm like, am I co-opting this? <laughs> or am I like, am I doing something dumb here? Because I have this... See, I've never been to India. I have no real understanding of real Indian day-to-day life and the politics you know, aside from like the conflict between Muslims and Hindus and sure. Pakistan and stuff like that. I don't really know much. The stuff that, like the broad stuff that makes the news, maybe I check it out. So I have this stupid, weird, sheltered Western white guy's romantic version <laughs> of this Indian world that I would love to be a part of. But mm. I'm talking about like the mystical Hindu stuff, like, you know, all the the meditation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um got like uh buddha all that stuff so there's something about like not just the tasty deliciousness of the indian food but it's almost got this like psychedelic like magical mystical ancient connection to it that i really love that i don't think canada canadian culture has
0: i have a friend that when he eats indian food he's like i need it to be so spicy that you travel through time me too yeah
1: i go mega hot mega hot one time, my good friend, Aaron Eves, he, he's the same way. We have the same cravings in that regard. He got this roti from Mother India. And this is way back in the day before, like, my seal was completely broken. <laughs> <laughs> you know? My seal? <laughs> that sounds gross. Oh, Jesus. But he got this, and he was vegetarian. I forget what he was. I think it, was, it might have been Molly Kofta. And he got it, like, as hot <laughs> as you can make it. But when I tried it, and my mouth is watering right now. It was the next day. So it was cold. Oh my God. A cold, mega spicy, creamy, like Molly Kofta or something roti. I was like, what the hell? I, this is all I need. It was, like, literally the best thing I've ever tasted.
0: So, my research... Uh, so, I eat it hot, but if it gets cold, it's still, like, incredible. Oh, yeah. And there's something to be said about cold food that's really, really spicy because you don't really taste the spice at first yeah. when it's cold. Like, if you ever want to trick somebody, here's a good prank for any roommates that are constantly eating your food. Buy extra wings next time you go out for wings, but make sure those are, like, the suicide wings. Like, those are the hottest wings they have But that's on different.
1: Like, weirdly enough, like so Indian spice is like the combo of yes red chilies everywhere if you get it really spicy but you're still getting this combo of like cardamom and cumin and turmeric tur- turmeric and and and, and cream uh, yeah paneer that, like, like there's this almost like that is like this magic ancient combo of spices absolutely and then when you go to like um ding dong's wing hut or whatever
0: love ding dong's <laughs> yeah
1: and you get like Give me the extra killer poison yeah. sauce wings. It's almost like a, can you swear on here? Absolutely. It's almost like a fuck you hot. It's like, fuck you bitch. Like, fuck your tongue. It's like a, I'm you know i I'm mean? trying to prove something hot. Yeah. It's like if someone made a knife out of vinegar and they just started stabbing your tongue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the trick is you take that's those. Not, like
1: <laughs> that's not a fun hot to me. And I can, I mean, as a kid, I would try to, it, it was almost like we, we would eat the hot stuff as a dare to like who can do it. Absolutely. But that's not the same as like a gourmet hot.
0: If you have a roommate, stick those suicide wings in your fridge overnight and then if he starts stealing your wings, he or she, after a few wings in, that's when they kick in. So, they've already eaten one or two and then they'll never steal your food ever again. Yeah. But if it's like a super mega hot roti from Glory of India or Mother India... They're probably going to be like, damn, this is good. I'm going to steal my roommate's food all the time. Forever. forever.
1: Especially when it's cold. But the thing is, is I guess just to summarize that thought, (laughs) like ancient spicy recipes like Thai food or Indian food or something like that, there's this part where the spice turns into a sweetness, which you don't get with like Tex-Mex hot. You know what I'm saying? For sure. It's the combo. Yeah.
0: It's that blend. It's the perfect blend of spices. It's sizes. almost like,
1: how can you eat this? It's too hot. It's like, to me, it's like, no, it's sweet. You know?
0: Are you a lassie guy? Do you like to wash it down with a, like a mango or a...
1: That's too many calories per meal. Oh, I honestly go water. Yeah, because it's heavy. It is. It's cream. A, an Indian roti is more than your amount of calories per day.
0: Well, Gandhi's, which was, is pretty famous on Queen West over here.
1: Yeah, which I don't eat at anymore. Why not? Um, I go to Roti Cuisine of India.
0: Oh, okay. But I'm pr-
1: on DuPont. But I'm probably ignorant about it anyways, but my friend or this guy I know said he was at Gandhi's one time and he saw them dumping a carton of cream into the vat. Oh
0: yeah, no question.
1: But that's butter chicken, but a lot of them do have cream. It's
0: actually their Pollock Paneer too. Shit, that's
1: one of my favorites. (laughs) why do you
0: think it's so good? You know what I mean? Spinach is not supposed to taste
1: that good. So sweet. <laughs> yeah it's cream the, i know sometimes in my head i justified i'm like i'm eating spinach <laughs> there's no way you're getting any nutrition from that spinach
0: so the there was an article many years ago like just going for the heaviest caloric foods in toronto and the gandhi's pollock paneer roti yeah. alone if you eat the whole thing which you shouldn't do if, you, if you're if you able to eat an entire roti from gandhi's I'm impressed I can do it you, really you can eat a whole one yes of course holy okay that's 2400 calories
1: yeah and then I sleep for two hours
0: oh at least yeah <laughs> That's it. We're, we're the, well, that's why it's no, so. That's, so good. that's why I
1: feel so guilty.
0: But, like, you know, you got to have a balance, Chris. You, you know, you're bringing this life into the world. I you're, do you're not teaching eat all these things. I eat it like
1: once a month.
0: You're learning. You'll learn about uh, <laughs> balance and and which, you know, you could probably make home more Indian, you know, like I make, do. Yeah. So, I mean. We have an
1: Indian cookbook that's brilliant and. I can make a, a really tasty chana masala.
0: Hey, and then
1: uh, you know I don't add salt or anything. Exactly. And, yeah.
0: Restaurant food is way different than stuff you can fill your create fulfill your craving from home. It's more work, obviously. We don't use
1: non bread either. We use brown rice. There you
0: go. Yeah. See, that's that's Kathleen in there. I, I I feel, or is this all you? Um.
1: No, it's true. Like in my older age, I I you get these cravings, and then you'll be like. Yeah, but I know that I'm going to, my, my face is going to blow out to look like a, the moon. Uh, I'm going to like sleep for two hours. My brain is going to be foggy. Like you just know, like I can't do it like that anymore. So just from- so even when we go to Benjara or something, Benjara, go to Benjara. Everybody. Yeah, it sounds like
0: your favorite. You, you've you mentioned Banjara quite a few times. I think
1: it's almost Toronto's favorite. Is it? Unless you're maybe on the East End, maybe Lahore Tikka. I was going to say, or something like that. I was going to ask
0: you what if you had a choice? Doesn't matter by There's location. There's a few new ones
1: that I haven't tried. Okay, that I hear about all the time. In um, fact, I think the the roti video that Chris Siddiqui put on my everybody listening to this. If you're listening to this, are you hungry or what? <laughs> But yeah, I think that was from a new place that I haven't been to.
0: Chris is so talented, by the way. I just want to just touch on that. I think he's yeah. one of the most talented comedian. I wouldn't. I don't know what you call him—an actor, comedian, sketch writer. Like he's he's a little bit of everything.
1: Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I don't know him super well, but I really really like him and we. We really get along, but I think he's... I know him as an improviser sketch actor, and yeah. I think he's so funny.
0: So funny, too. And he's uh, yeah. Roar Brown's uh, husband. That's a little bit of a throwback. Right,
1: and so he gets bits in there, uh, not because of that, but he he is on Baroness One's Baroness, yeah. 1 sketch, That's too. That's
0: right. Absolutely. He uh, kills it. So if you had a choice between Banjara and La Hortica, not based on location, just those two that you know...
1: I can't judge fairly because I've been to Benjara like 100 times and La Hortica maybe like, not even twice. Because you're a West End guy. Yeah. We went for my friend Lauren's birthday once and I loved it, but that was like a long time ago. When Kathleen and I order from Benjara, our appetizer is pakoras, veggie pakoras okay. with the uh, whatever that sauce tamarin. is, tamarind sauce. Yeah. And the also the uh, other one cucumber cucumbery sauce the mint you know. chutney almost. yeah that, i love that oh, oh yeah. that's kathleen's favorite
0: oh yeah it's yeah the, we the usually flavors go, yeah we'll go like
1: madras chicken hot or like a palak paneer rice oh god i'm fucking losing it
0: <laughs> <laughs> amish patel swears by uh, glory of india so
1: that's not by lansdowne and queen right Correct. that's one that i've always had my sights on maybe i'll pick something up from there after this and take it home
0: that's a great idea
1: It is, but I have to look after my daughter, so I need my energy, and it'll just probably kill me.
0: Uh, let's maybe only eat half of what you order, put the other half in the fridge. That's so hard. I know, it's hard.
1: But yeah, maybe I'll do that. So, uh, did you say Amish Patel?
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. Yeah, (laughs) you're like, Amish, (laughs) Indian, (laughs) She probably has the right idea where the good Indian food is in this city. Yeah. That's what I like about your podcast, though, because food always comes into play. You're always talking about... You it's know, so important
1: to each yeah. individual, like, and if you're talking about your utopian world, I mean, give me a break. You've got to have exactly what you like. I've rarely had a guest on that's like, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows what foods satisfy them to the max, you know?
0: Well, I really like your episodes with Nathan Fielder. Awesome! You do uh, my one of my favorite ones is one the one you do with Sarah Hennessy. She's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, just there's this one point in the episode where you guys are just like choking up. You guys are laughing so hard at each oh, other. I,
1: that's such a long time ago. I want to remember what it was.
0: Uh, she was talking about the hot dog planet where there's ballroom dances all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also really like your episode with Nick Beaton. Nick does a show on this network called This Is Not a Safe Space. Yeah, I
1: want to do that. You want to do his show? I love how, um, opinionated Nick is.
0: He's amazing. Yeah. So
1: brilliant. He says stuff that would, like, offend people at first, but then he justifies it because he's, he's, like, insightful.
0: He is so smart
1: so, so like my my point is like if you get offended by things that nick said uh you don't have the patience to listen to an argument anyways you know what i mean
0: that's what i really like about him he, he his all his thoughts are well put together yeah. he's not arguing he's not raising his, his voice. Like that too. exactly it keeps,
1: like his bits keep building and building
0: is there uh, like a topic you'd want to cover with him
1: Mm, no, I don't know
0: he just come in and just just throw some stuff at you he's amazing yeah, at yeah
1: yeah yeah we hung out a bit we could find something to play with
0: cool let's make that happen yeah for sure Nick is brilliant like I working with a lot of comedians now that I'm doing this podcast and working with this network I meet a lot of comedians and Nick the type of comedian he is the type of kind of well thought you know he really takes a stance on things he doesn't waver he's not trying to like win the audience over it's it's kind of funny
1: you know I have to tell you something with this like brand new recent, like just happened early this morning, Trump win as president being a random absurd comedian is going to seem kind of off. It's going to seem weird. What do you mean? I guess we all need like laughter. And so maybe it not being, um, relevant, I guess could help, you know, like just seeing someone silly making you laugh. But it seems like, real artists now and intelligent people that uh with compassion for everybody if you're an artist like you should almost like be relevant now in your stand up and or comedy and and you should sort of attack what's just what just happened in the states
0: sure and when i was watching the election last night i was actually following all my favorite comedians twitter feeds uh, you know just cuz i want their commentary and nick is always so funny yeah, and so, so Yeah, he was really funny last yeah. night. So check him out, and and our show. Uh, yeah. This is not a safe space on the Never Sleeps Network is amazing. He just did a great episode with Dom uh, Perret. Yeah, uh, his first episode is also an
1: outspoken, exactly. opinionated. Person. So the
0: two of them together, incredible. They went on for hours, and his first episode is actually with Kenny Robinson, and they talk about Black Lives Movement in Toronto
1: wow isn't that incredible yeah i should check it out
0: so were you a podcast fan before doing your own
1: not really to be yeah. honest like radio lab yeah radio lab and of course wtfs with people that i really wanted to hear well yeah and a few like you made it weirds but you made it weird yeah but i i could just because like pete holmes is, um i love pete holmes but he has also like good friends with a bunch of comedians that i love so i got to hear like you know good combos so it was in and out i'm not one of those like like at the gym or something or walking like i need music you know and, and sure. when i'm working i need music i'm a real music guy yeah
0: yeah what, what kind of music do you listen to at the gym
1: um, everything, uh, but, but for the most part, it needs to be like fast, punky rock and roll.
0: Punky. Yeah. Are you an old punk?
1: I was in a punk band in high school. No <laughs> way. But it was just stupid. It was like literally like, like we played like maybe three shows Isn't downtown. that what punk bands are for? Yeah. I was just getting like the, letting off some steam. And even, uh, I, I should have known because even on stage, uh, when we did play, like seriously, we played four shows and one was at our high school. <laughs> I was always trying to be funny. Like, in a punky way, like a snotty way, but yeah, I was like, I wanted to make people laugh in between songs and stuff. Like Fat
0: Mike or something.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What? Actually,
1: it was more like I really wanted to be, and he's insane, Warren, the guitarist from the Vandals. Oh, wow. Who I found out, I think, are, like, Republicans now, so now I'm disappointed. Oh, wow. Because I I didn't get that as a kid, but now it makes sense. Like, all these, like, punk band, like, hardcore punk bands that I liked as a kid, they all had really strict, almost conservative politics
0: yeah and it's also kind of determined by where they were raised or what state they're in you know like it's amazing when you see the election yesterday you're like everybody on the east coast because we're all in the east coast we're like florida come on florida like whose side are you really on and then when we all realize that florida voted for trump we're like florida we used to like you
1: yeah where the freaking Pulse nightclub uh, shooting happened even. Right. Like, Good that, point. That means that there's like a lot of uh, people that live there that are thinking like, you know, awful, th- uh, not the way we would think about that yeah, shooting.
0: It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so it's, you don't, it's amazing how this election made Hillary us King realize went that. went
1: there to the site, you know.
0: They're actually, Orlando bought it
1: to draw to deliver flowers and stuff orlando trump didn't go to the site oh wow
0: the city of orlando yeah. bought the nightclub and they're turning it into a memorial that's nice that's nice yeah that's beautiful what was the name of your punk band in high school the
1: simpletons
0: the simpletons classic right <laughs> did you play guitar
1: yeah very badly like and three, then some... guitar,
0: three cards three chords
1: completely yeah i was not good and one of my f- old friends who was in the band is still a really good musician and, uh, yeah, he does it. But, yeah, my favorite thing was uh, my the singer would take the guitar and he'd play the guitar really well and then I would sing. So those are my favorite songs. Oh, cool. Just basically going off on the microphone and singing. But, yeah, if you listen to the Vandals live cassette, because it was cassette when I had it, called Sweatin' to the Oldies, the Vandals warren the guitarist is just being a jackass in between songs the whole time and i loved it and that's probably one of my biggest influences the
0: vandals wow yeah just
1: that album at the uh, it hit me at the right time right right yeah
0: yeah i wouldn't take you as a punk rocker now pardon i wouldn't take you for a punk rocker now
1: now it's more like psych rock garage all right like the oc's is one of my favorite bands cool ty seagulls stuff like that but I also have been listening uh, to a ton of Future and Young Thug and Pusha T and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, th- it's this weird. I also listened to a lot movement. of hip hop when yeah, I was a kid. Th- hip hop, like is I'm kind an of... old school
1: hip hop head that was really, really knee jerking. Like even like because cause I come from the days of like Plan B skate videos and stuff where like punk and hip hop mixed and sure. everyone was like doing their their like yeah skating to like everything. So I liked everything. Um, but the punk band really meant something to me for a bit. Cause it was like just a way for like, Oh, I didn't want to start being a rapper in high school, you know, yeah. like a white kid yelling was like way easier. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. So then I had a real knee jerk reaction to rap for the last, I was one of those old school heads. that was like, this is all garbage now. It's ignorant crap. And now I'm like, Oh my God. Like, no, the, like some of this stuff is like, they're geniuses. You know, like it's not easy to
0: make hip hop good
1: like what future's doing uh especially especially, today especially is like it seems so like simple and about nothing but he's man it's like super urban slang poet poetic like oh my god the song march madness i I, uh, everyone go listen to march madness yeah
0: i also really like frank ocean
1: Yeah, I haven't Uh, listened to him yet. You
0: know, some of the Kanye's catalog, I really, really, really like, like my Dark Twisted Fantasy and uh the graduation that, was that his that best stuff. album i really liked that album yeah. because it wasn't it, it for someone who's not like a gangster rap hardcore rap guy i needed yeah. a little bit of dance music a little bit of stuff that i wasn't you know really into uh, or see. didn't understand and it, he kind of mixed it all really well together
1: to be honest i had a very very bad knee-jerk reaction to kanye for so long because i'm like uh we grew up in this like sort of like white polite suburban thing it's like what happened to modesty and maybe even, like, the Trump election has something to do with all this, like, who gives a shit braggadocio egocentric taking over everything. But it took me until, like, seriously, all the real awful violence, uh, like, against the black community and all, and and exposure of that, like, in the news, like, about three years ago when it first started, you know, uh, two or three years ago, that I started realizing, like, paying more attention to the real message between being a black person and being proud to just blatantly shit on everything and say all that. And then, then it started like I retroactively understood it all. Hmm. Whereas before I was like, come on guys, be polite and modest, (laughs) you know, like why would I think that because of my background? So I don't get it. I didn't get it for so long.
0: True. You've become more evolved.
1: And I, and and, and now I kind of get the way that, it's like a huge fuck you to the establishment. The establishment. Which is like more punk than anything else.
0: It's funny. Even Trump stole or was using Neil Young's music at the beginning yeah. of. You remember that?
1: And the Stones didn't want him using their music too. There's a Used bunch it of people. last night. The Stones yeah, song,
0: you can't always get what you want.
1: Even though they ask. Yeah.
0: Isn't that the most like surreal song to, uh-huh. to walk off your, you know, you're thanking everybody for voting you in as president and then you can't always get what you want by the stones is playing.
1: Yeah. Like who chose that music? He's burning Hillary. Oh, you
0: think he's burnt. That's just like a straight burn.
1: I saw a quote from him. It was like on the news, like from like 98 or something. He was saying like, if, uh, if I ran for president and this is like 98 in the nineties, I'm pretty sure if I ran for president, I would go Republican because they're so dumb They eat up everything. He he literally said that in his lifetime, and then he fucking did it like twenty years later.
0: It's kind of scary.
1: It's yeah, you can't always get what you want. Is literally like a pompous, rich bitch burning all of us. Seriously,
0: it's only been day one, and I think Uh we're so afraid. Well, he's not inaugurated yet, but yeah. Do you think Ted Nugent will play? It's not even a full day. You think Ted Nugent will play his inauguration ceremony? I don't know. <laughs> Him and Kid Rock?
1: I don't know what's going to happen. It was really weird last night watching CNN like totally change their tune when his lead was just obviously... Right. And they were like, well, he was the outsider and he, he what he did with the polls is unprecedented. They're trying to put this spin on it because they don't want to fucking die.
0: Yeah, Trump is going to be able I to I literally to think of the French stuff, Revolution,
1: yeah. like, you know, and I know it's hyperbole because I'm a comedian, but... All those, like, free speakers of the French Revolution were like, that's what I think of now. Being dragged out of their bathtubs and, like, have <laughs> their heads cut off.
0: I have no idea how he's going to implement it you know, the I, things I I he don't, said. It's
1: not. No, it's not. I, I, the hyperbole is funny to me because of but But uh, there's no way that the world would go like that. I don't think so in this modern time. But
0: Well, you said you're a fan of WTF, Mark Maron's podcast. He had Obama on.
1: Yeah, I listen to that one. Oh, I listen to... I pick and... I haven't listened to a lot. No, like, for sure.
0: I'm the same way with Mark Maron. He's got, yeah. a, he's got quite a vast catalog. Do you, think, do you think Trump would ever do WTF?
1: No, I don't think he would do anything remotely connected to savvy art.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's so true because it's like... I would think that would expose him for who he actually... It's not like he isn't already doing that because it's very clear that Even on the
1: idiot clown, Jimmy Fallon, like, rubbed his hair, which probably is what won him the election. He, you could see Trump's face, like, just wanting to explode, but he was... That's the most he could placate the masses as, like, a you know, in a fun way.
0: You actually think that helped his image, being with Jimmy Fallon? Probably.
1: The... Why wouldn't it?
0: Well, sure, I just think... It's the Tonight
1: Show. Everyone's watching jimmy never like took him to task for anything he's he's got a black band there you know what i mean uh as his band he's got like all kinds of guests on his show all the time muslims uh hispanic people and here he has uh, you know anyways you you get it
0: but do you like jimmy fallon do you uh, like late night shows (laughs) no yeah you didn't sound like you liked him very much (laughs)
1: I, I like the old school like late night shows like Letterman and, and and like Conan and Carson and stuff where they're like really clever jokesmiths and some of their jokes are poignant and the real comedians like Jimmy's like ba- made the Tonight Show like camp games like when I was like 12 years old and I went to camp you would do the games that he does on his show sure.
0: you know icebreakers
1: yeah it's like what are we doing here it's really like a dumbing down simpleton sort of aspect of tv you know and it's so weird how he's even made jay leno look better recently too uh, yeah yeah.
0: he had jay leno come on and do some monologue stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting so it's a different tone exactly it's a different tone
1: and that's fine you know it's his it's his bag and but uh you know I don't really like respond to that but you know maybe I'm an older comedian older generation so I don't know
0: Yeah no I'm the same way I'm not into Hollywood for Hollywood's sake
1: Yeah me neither
0: So when I you hate see, all that shit. Yeah <laughs> when you when you see all these people being phony or you know you can understand sometimes this person's being real but on average you're getting a lot of people who are playing of like this kind of idea of who we think they are or some sort of Kardashian or some sort of person that really doesn't matter day to day. Like, we, you know, we're talking about some big news events that are happening, but at the same time, no,
1: yeah, it's like, it's weird. Cause if you want to talk about like conspiracy theories, it really does feel like this. And I get that most. Okay. So like when you're a comedian, I get that you're lucky to, for the most part, be a free thinker, have downtime to to re, like think and you know ponder things and write stuff and, and and artists in general get to sort of live that life. But I also get that a lot of people in Canada and America work nine to five or longer in grinding jobs just to make ends meet, pay the mortgage, raise the kids. Uh, you know they don't need to be a passionate sort of like, you know, so I get like when they come home and that fucking bullshit fluff is on TV, I can see how that would be relaxing for a lot of people. It's silly. You erase the day, you go to sleep and then you do your day again. But that's what's important to you is like this insanely like grinding job, you know, like blue collar office, whatever.
0: Yeah. When you think about America, it's 300 million
1: people. It totally makes sense. So like, you know, you have to run a society and like society has to stay together. Like, you know, so how do you do that? And I think the people that lead a society have different theories and, you know,
0: it's, it's funny because we're coming back to utopia to me. Well, in a lot of ways, right? Like it's so obvious that since I've been
1: like, um, aware of us politics and I am not a political guy. Like I'm talking, I literally talk for with my like things I've heard and feelings I have. Like, it's sure. not, I'm not like, you know, that's
0: difficult though. Even more than you'd realize how hard it is to, to get uh-huh. to that point.
1: Well, I think like, it's just so obvious that the, it seems to me that the, the Republicans have always, their thing has been lead by uh, fear based sort of. Thing. Sure. And the Democrats have always led by a sort of like, we are in the best of times. Aren't we lucky? Sort of philosophy. And those are two different political philosophies that make complete sense because if if you appeal to the masses that feel like they need a protector and a guide, then they will vote for the person that says, we are living in hell and I will protect you from the outside dangers. And if you're one of those people that's like living in one of those worlds where you're like, "I, I need to feel like I'm free and I've got everything I want and so I can enjoy life. Then, then you vote for that person that, uh, admits that or like, you know,
0: so with that theory, you're saying that there's more Americans that live in fear versus those who feel like they live in a good light, have a good life.
1: They voted the people that are scared of immigrants and terrorism voted Donald Trump in, you know, for
0: sure. And that's fear mongering right there. You're like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: And then, yeah, it's, that's who voted.
0: If you had the ability to interview anybody on Utopia to me to find out their Utopia, who would it be? Anybody? Anybody. Any favorite comedians?
1: I guess if Richard Pryor was alive, that would have been fun. For sure. I would have loved to have known more about Richard Pryor.
0: Is he one of your go-to idols?
1: Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah, as a stand-up, yeah.
0: Which uh, of his albums is your favorite?
1: Uh, craps oh, right. after hours yeah it's when I make my silly little independent albums I always have craps in mind because it, it's a small intimate v- venue It's everyone's screaming with laughter it, it's just a party and that's what I really want comedy to be like like a small intimate party where everyone's just getting loose you know like I really would love to become a comedian one day that could play theaters like you know I, I really like the intimacy of good comedy. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's something to be said. S- the,
1: and then the one after that, that N word's crazy. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That, those two albums together are like just magic to me. And when I need to reset and I'm feeling like disenchanted with comedy, I will go back and w- listen to those.
0: But like, there's something to be said about how Richard Pryor did these album recordings in front of large audiences and they seem intimate.
1: Um yeah because of his style.
0: That's right. So there's no saying that you can't well, do when that. Well, he did
1: like what is it, here and now? That one seemed a little like disconnected a bit and people yelling stuff at him, but
0: That was the time, that was the culture. There's yeah. so much going on then.
1: That was his last one like 80 or something, 80s or some 80s yeah, yeah. Like it, it was, I a,
0: you know look at like raw or delirious you know people are just screaming at these people in the 80s they thought it was cool apollo but those specials all are that stuff. terrible oh you're not a fan
1: no are you
0: i like delirious sure i mean i even like raw i mean what's what's Do you wrong remember with how them? delirious starts i mean how like <laughs> how racist and this dist- like he can homophobic. be homophobic he gets can- sure but yeah. i mean like when I first got into it, I just saw it as a comedy album, you know, freedom of I speech. See. Like, I'm I'm not saying I agree with him or I think what he's saying is right or wrong. How he presents ideas in his own originality makes it funny.
1: I think when I watch those specials now, it's obvious that Eddie Murphy was such a... Is such a gifted, uh, talented, comedic actor. So, you know, so was Richard Pryor. So, when I watch Richard Pryor's bits he's saying such heavy stuff about not just black politics, which it is a lot of amazing stuff about black politics at that time, uh, which I find inspiring, but also so much heavy stuff about just his life. Right? So then when you watch Eddie Murphy, he's saying all these, like he's being just as explicit and like uncut or whatever, but he's almost like just setting up pieces for him to like dance.
0: A very Hollywood approach to comedy. Saying? So, like, when he's like,
1: you get no ice cream because you're on welfare. It almost turns into, like, a dance bit. And you're like, yeah, but this is, like, he he just, he's obviously just needs to perform.
0: Yeah, Eddie's more of a cartoon character. Yeah. And Richard Pryor's a writer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even when you see him in movies, like, hear no evil, see no evil. Yeah. Or see no evil, hear no evil. I, <laughs> I never get that word right. You know, you can tell he's kind of awkward. In his acting, he's not he's a writer, he's a he's a comedian, he's put into these roles, A to like offset the amazing Gene Wilder. Like who better to play off Gene Wilder than Richard Pryor? But at the same time, Richard Pryor's like, I'm not an actor. Like you can just see, like I'm here because my how else am I gonna make my comedic career go the next level? You had to you had to do movies. Yeah. But you could tell he's kind of awkward where Eddie Murphy's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm a cartoon character. Watch me do all these great movies. But I'm also the biggest thing on SNL. I'm the biggest comedian right now. But those two things played hand in hand. Richard Pryor didn't really have have that. Yeah. I'm just saying. But then
1: also Eddie Murphy just became like this weird shill for Disney.
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, that's Hollywood for you. Yeah. You know, Richard Pryor could never do that in a million years. Yeah, You know, even if they had the same kind of explicit humor, you would almost think that Richard Pryor was a little bit more explicit just because Eddie Murphy was involved with so many different Hollywood things or he was doing more movies. You know, Richard Pryor kind of did his own thing because he he could. I think Eddie Murphy also probably realized he could probably make a lot of money Mm -hmm. if he just sucked the teat of Hollywood. And he did and then ended up being one of the richest comedians of our lifetime. At the same time, I don't think Eddie Murphy has really offended anybody recently. I mean, like the stuff he did in the 80s, and then now like, you can tell that he's a different person, he's more evolved. These, even these people have learned from their mistakes. You know, Eddie was like a huge deal with SNL 40. Like, it was like a, like, I don't I don't think if, let's say, Bill Cosby were to come out and be a part of SNL 40, not that there's a direct connection, I'm just saying like, were very into kind of making sure that the people that destroy their image from previous, you know, good samaritan, good family person we are able to just remove them from society. Bill Bill Cosby's completely gone. You know, Eddie Murphy who's been, you know, wavering with homophobia with that kind of comedy for a lot, for many years. And, you know, issues with, you know, a lot of children and, and his baby mamas and all these issues. We still kind of feel like Eddie Murphy comes from a much better place. So, we praise him. And because the Hollywood kind of – Hollywood gives you this extra life, you, you're you kind of safer in the Hollywood realm. Richard Pryor could never have existed in there. Yeah. So, Richard Pryor would – Which is it,
1: still kind of – it's it's to me, that's cool. Absolutely. Like, that's how I would – you know, like, Hollywood is – fucking gross
0: well yeah Jimmy Fallon is Hollywood <laughs> incarnate you know yeah. what I mean like then we don't like that. I'm a Conan guy I've always been a Conan guy he's anti-establishment yeah, I've too. always been anti-establishment and that's what I think too Richard Pryor anti-establishment Eddie Murphy not anti-establishment exactly.
1: same, yeah we have the same taste
0: we have similar tastes for sure similar I, so. yeah absolutely no i mean you're one of my favorite comedians in toronto i really liked demons are eating my head oh, uh, the world you. is embarrassing went to number one on itunes comedy charts in canada like you're you're following in the footsteps i'm not listen i'm not trying to compare you to richard Pryor, but you have to make these albums to make a name for yourself whether you're anti-establishment or you're part of you know the scene quote-unquote you are doing all the right things chris Uh, I want to talk about that. Okay. I want to talk about your latest album. No, thank you. Because being from Toronto, we have a smaller pocket of comedians where if you were to go to Hollywood, if you go to LA, there's so many different kind of styles in there. It doesn't make them any better i just feel like when you have the amazing talent and the comedy boom that's happening in toronto such as yourself you i and i hope a lot more people which is why we have you here today why we have this network we're trying to prove that this is a big deal for toronto and we don't need la as much as we think we do we don't need new york as much as we think we do because the scene here is just as good if not better with some of the best comedians on a national scale and an international scale
1: yeah, that's totally true
0: Right? You would totally agree with that, no question Yeah So, Demons Are In My Head, you recorded at the Ossington Seems like the Ossington's your, like, go-to spot Yeah it, Why the Ossington? What are some of your favorite spots to perform in other than the Ossington?
1: Um, the Ossington, because it's, you know, it's old stone walls, which weirdly is uh, an attraction for me When it's full, there's about 70 or a bit more people in there and that's really full. And, uh, and like I was saying earlier about the, the Richard Pryor albums, the intimacy, the connection with those people is just mega. You know, you can't really get that from a giant theater. It's sort of like, sometimes I think my favorite performances as a stand up are the same as like, I think of ancient times where someone's just really regaling everyone with a, a an incredible story in front of like the fire, like, that's what I want really good comedy shows to be like, you know, when, when people would pass on like mythology to a group of people sitting by the fire and that's all they had, like the fire and the stars. Like, I like the primitiveness of stand up. Like, you know, you don't really even need a microphone. And in fact, Sean Hogan's really great show, um, at the cloak and dagger called the hangover cure. We stand outside under the sky and tell our jokes to people sitting around drinking beers with no microphone. That sounds and, awesome. And it destroys. They're the best, some of the best shows in the city.
0: What are some other intimate venues in the city?
1: Of course, the comedy cabaret space is always amazing. Comedy bar, is cabaret space.
0: My favorite show that I saw you at, at uh, the most intimate show that yeah I, I think is in Toronto, is at the garage show.
1: Oh yeah, that's amazing too. Yeah, that's the same sort of vibe as hangover cure show but they give you a mic there or helder gives you a mic there but yeah it's yeah that's one of my faves too yeah
0: dan gallia helder brum yeah also have been on this show do you remember this one time you were there and the guy knocked on the door i don't know if the guy knocked on the door it was a few years ago a couple years ago it was a little bit of a hazy night so i'm not sure if you'll remember (laughs) you literally got up there and you barely didn't even you didn't even say anything you were just kind of there kind of gauging the audience and the the eruption of laughter that continued forever. You were just like how do I respond? I haven't really done anything. What do I say next? I haven't really said anything and they kept laughing and they had, they were on every last word of your comedy that night. That was probably the yeah. best show I've seen you ever perform. Do you do you kind of remember that night?
1: I think that's when I uh, came up with the joke about how awkward it is being on the toilet when someone knocks on the other side of the door because that happened at Helder's
0: house it always happens in that washroom
1: those are my favorite sets because you know as a comedian you like write right 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 but and it's valuable and you know sometimes especially when you're, you're like headlining a club uh or even at the shows audiences are just sitting there waiting for the writing and then the show is over that's to me is the worst because I I, I really love shows where it's half written half improv because yeah just being one with the vibe of the night and getting everyone like like all swelled up in that like all together like this whirlwind of we're all like just going insane and i really think my uh, album release show slash party at the drake underground on october 11th was like that because it was so nice the place was like rammed everybody was there killer lineup Uh, as a supportive killer lineup everybody killed and then i went on kind of tipsy and ended up doing almost 40 minutes and i didn't even mean to do that long and it was just insane and i taped the whole thing and it's all like some new ideas some mostly ideas in the moment and like that's my favorite vibe
0: when i think about a great toronto-esque comedian who has that kind of mix between improv and written jokes is somebody who's both Uh, been on our shows uh dave merhesh yeah the guy just walks into a room finds the one thing that made him laugh even even remotely chuckle and then he'll make all of you find that funny and and then he leaves
1: yeah it's amazing on the head with it
0: that's right and and i love that it's it sometimes as a
1: yeah he created his own style
0: oh yeah and you guys any comedian that goes up it's gonna have a few written jokes but the best is when even matt o'brien does this he goes up On stage, and he has everybody laughing just at him being silly or saying something from a previous comedian. And then he'll go, jokes, jokes, time to do my jokes now, time to do my set. And he's like, damn, my my jokes are definitely not going to be getting you laughing as much as I've had you laugh for the last five minutes. Yeah. Do you plan on consistently making a comedy album, you know, every two, three so odd years?
1: Yeah, well, of course, I would like to... And I think they keep meaning more and more to me because of my life becoming more and more real, like a family man, um, you know, becoming more invested in things. So, you know, the first two albums were like independent. I just threw them out there to have them out there and travel with and give them to people and stuff. But I would really like to come up with, obviously, like everybody, like an hour long special that gets filmed and maybe put on like Netflix and stuff. And then you could also buy the album and then there's, like, maybe a story arc to the whole thing. Not like a one-man show, but, like, I feel like I can't write without sticking with the theme anyways. You're so, so
0: deep, Chris Locke. There's so much more <laughs> than you I would ever think, uh, you know? Like, that's interesting. Maybe it's just the
1: morning you caught me on, because it's the morning after the election. I'm really hungry. I have to pee. Maybe I'm being really serious for some reason.
0: What's it like deciding on which jokes will make it to the album?
1: Yeah, you know what? I took a two huge long stories from demons writing my head because I wanted it. I wanted the album to be faster. Okay. So I actually did edit out two long stories that still did well on the night. But as an album, I wanted it to go faster, if that makes sense. I didn't want to get bogged down in like a 10-minute story.
0: It seems like more and more comedians, especially in Canada and Toronto, are making comedy albums. There's a lot more radio play, a lot more opportunity to sell your album, whether it's hard copy or to these ben radio Minor stations. Ben and everyone
1: at SiriusXM are like angels to us.
0: Ben's the best. Yeah. We just released, our network just released an episode of him. On our comic book show hmm we have a show called speech bubble yeah uh, and we're doing a series called comics on comics are you a comic book fan at all
1: yeah but I'm p- kind of specific I got more back into them um, in my older years
0: uh, and that's kind of the trend these days
1: um, yeah but I, I, I like stuff like saga and uh, one of my favorites is this one called Casanova that I really like Ben um, is
0: obsessed with comics. Yeah. Yeah, he's, a, he's a guy to talk to. I,
1: I don't really go into, like, the Marvel DC stuff. I like uh, uh, some stuff I've found on Image Comics well, and that. Well, this like that. is your
0: rhetoric, Chris. Why go <laughs> with the mainstream when you can be with the anti-establishment? Marvel and DC is like Hollywood.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, like, I don't know why I've always been that way. I've always been that way. I've always liked the more underground stuff. I feel like even without even saying anything... People have always called me in this scene alternative hmm. or like all undergroundy type of stuff. Even though I can I headline clubs, I don't know what happened. I think it is because the smaller independent stuff takes more risks creatively and intellectually. I don't know. I'm sick of all this fucking label. I'm no. I'm sick of like pandering to the plebes bullshit. I think people like should work hard. To be the best they can be.
0: It's hard enough to do that.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I'm so sick of this, like, broad fucking art bullshit, you know, pandering to the fucking people that don't challenge themselves and just want to be placated and complacent. I fucking hate that.
0: How do you challenge yourself? How do you do something different every album like what's your advice for comedians thinking about producing an album
1: well look i wasn't talking about my stand up there i was talking about arts and culture in general sure
0: but i mean my stand up, I, ju- I
1: want everybody to laugh like i want people i want to find ways to make everybody laugh but i i still want you to come into my world you know what i mean so it's a weird combination between like me expressing myself and saying exactly what I want to say but also being mindful that hey audience is paid to see me I should not be such a a self-indulgent dick you know what I mean
0: but again how do you work that fine line like how do you you're you're producing an album which is well the audience is the judge okay you know but how many times have you written a, a joke that maybe kills to your friends and then you bring it out to the audience you're like why isn't this working
1: yeah that used to happen like about like six years ago or seven years ago more than it does now well that's a good sign well yeah because i i definitely credit like uh touring with yuck yucks okay um with 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 helping me like rein in my voice so that i could understand like bigger audiences instead of like a totally living in a bubble secluded hipster like toronto audience
0: well you hit the road the road probably
1: helps yeah but then the road is just as dangerous Cause the road, sometimes you find yourself like in these small venue, like small rural areas, compromising your set forever and ever for, for people that aren't as comedy savvy or aren't as like, you know, city, like intellectual, they, they like, they're the people that are like working all the time. They, they just want to laugh.
0: They want to see Jimmy Fallon
1: or whatever, you know, they want to see like their funniest friend right. say, say, say the stuff that he says, uh, uh, you know. So, you, so then I think you can get into a danger there where you're like <clears throat> pandering to these people all the time. And then you're, you're not, you're losing your voice. You're just becoming like, you know, whatever.
0: Do you find that your jokes will change city to city? Like, do you to, kind of have to like tweak them a bit depending on your audience? Like, are you good at checking that out and like understanding?
1: I don't really want to, but I do, I can read a crowd for sure. And and I, and I do like to be considerate to that crowd. Like, look, you guys paid, you want to see a show? I don't say that, obviously, but in my mind, I'm like, this is weird. I've been so serious on this podcast. I usually never do this. I wouldn't
0: say that you're serious. I mean, that's my podcast. I'm here to kind of interview you and, you know, yeah. I'm interested in you. This is my way of, I, because I'm not a comedian.
1: I think I'm really, you've caught me right after the U.S. election, so I'm really like,
0: <laughs> you're insightful, Chris. You're being quite insightful. What are what are some of your favorites? I'm very
1: smart. No, I'm you just You are. No, you're I'm totally, uh, I
0: think a good comedian is smart, plain and simple.
1: Um, maybe maybe a bit
0: <laughs> <laughs> and modest. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite cities to travel to and perform in?
1: Um Winnipeg has an incredible scene of supportive comedy fans and uh, burgeoning like comedy scene of indie comedians themselves um and vancouver is incredible vancouver i just did a show there where it was like come see me for an hour right so then i book my friends to host and open for me like graham clark ivan decker uh ryan williams sophie buttle and i get ryan Beale and aaron reed to do this like improv sketch before i go on wow all of a sudden i'm watching this show dying laughing being like fuck what did I do
0: because
1: now I have to really bring it and the show like the Vancouver scene is completely its own incredibly talented successful scene it's amazing it's totally amazing so yeah of course I brought it it was a really fun show but ooh, those guys made me work and I and I really appreciate that so I would say outside of Toronto um yeah Winnipeg and Vancouver
0: any kind of food that you're like super excited about when you're out there that you can't get in Toronto.
1: Vancouver has really good sushi.
0: Oh yeah. Which
1: I missed this time I didn't have time. Mm. Winnipeg, I don't know. No.
0: <laughs> what do they eat in Winnipeg? Uh they have a
1: popular uh, breakfast or like brunch sort of lunch chain there called Stella's. And their huevos rancheros is called Mexican eggs. <laughs>
0: i'll just leave it at that what's your relationship with food what would you say your relationship is with food
1: um well it keeps me alive it does but then it also makes me feel uh, endless shame
0: are you a live to eat or eat to live
1: it seems like live to eat because ever since we were talking about indian food i've been thinking about it this whole time even though i've gotten serious about comedy and politics
0: I'm going to wrap up pretty soon with you. Good, definitely. I have to pee so bad I've drank three <laughs> cups of water
1: to everyone listening.
0: I just want to ask you about one other show that Anyone I saw you Anyone who's listening
1: to this too, my opinions are like purely in the moment. I'm a dumb guy. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> Another amazing show I saw you recently perform at was at the Comedy Works in Montreal. You were there? I was there. Which night? The first show on the first night. That one wasn't that bad, I don't think. It was unbelievable. Chris, I don't think you realize how amazing that set was. So, just to give the listeners a little bit of context, it was your first night. It was your first show. You had some write-up from a local Montreal Gazette. Yeah. And, of course, the early show is usually going to have less of a turn-up. Turn out then um, The Late Show. The Comedy
1: Works has got new people running it now. So, they're trying to bounce back from when it was like the old owner. Sure. So, I really like that venue. Speaking of good venues, I love playing The Comedy Works. um, But they're still bouncing back. And everyone in Montreal should go support it because it's a killer room. It
0: is. Even Grumpy's is kind of fun once in a
1: while. Yeah, I love... playing the works and then going down to grumpy's and getting drunk with everyone who hangs out exactly totally yeah that's a killer scene
0: do you remember that set specifically not specifically so That,
1: that whole weekend was insane a little
0: bit of a blur yeah the show that i was at was seven people were in the audience Okay. Was these three middle-aged women in That's the front. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, it was and that they re- show. And they knew
1: from the Gazette, right? <laughs> That's
0: right. Yeah. Yeah, these two people on the left side, it was one girl with her friend who was just coming from like Europe or something. She literally got off the plane and they went to your show so she wouldn't fall asleep.
1: Oh my God. And then
0: on the other side was just this other two friends. And then you're like, so I got this write-up in, in the Montreal Gazette. Who's here because of the Gazette? And the three women in the front all raised their hand. Yeah. You just had Amy. You just had your baby. Yeah. So instead of like doing a show, you're like, guys, let's let's just sit down and talk. you You pulled up a chair mm-hmm. in front of these three women. You basically made everybody kind of group as one audience and you yeah, kind of just like
1: the fire pit.
0: Yeah, it was like a fire mm-hmm. pit. It was exactly like that. And you kind of went person by person about especially these three women in the front and you kind of just talked to them. You kind of asked them about them what why they were here and all this stuff. you, you it got so intimate. it was probably one of the best comedy shows I've seen all year.
1: Well, can you tell the people listening that everyone was laughing all the time they too? They were. It yeah, was hilarious. We, there was comedy happening the whole time, but it was a to- Yeah, I don't think I told... I maybe told three real jokes. That's right. But uh, yeah, a few of the shows at that, that weekend were like that, where it was like, okay, I'm not doing a set. I'm dropping everything I was going to do, and I have to play this room because it was wild weekend or whatever.
0: But even after the show, everybody lined up to talk to you. To shake your hand, to thank you. Those women were so appreciative. Yeah, they were really nice. They were so amazing. They were even thanking all the other comics. They were thanking audience. Like, I was in the back. I was just hanging out with Jeremy Dobsky and those guys. And uh, they were, like, even thanking me. They're like, thank you for being here. Like, it was, like, a, an important thing that all of us were here to, to listen to Chris kind of, like, give us therapy oh, for come an hour. On. I swear. That's I, too heavy. I tell That's people crazy. about that show. That's why. This is oh, the main is nice. reason why I wanted you here. To even just talk about that one night, because it was such a surreal experience as a comedian, as a fan of comedy, to watch you break down that show and have them all leave like it's the best comedy show they've ever seen, is one of the highlights of watching you and watching comedians in general. But the ability to do that and to be able to break down kind of the fourth wall and to just be yourself really proves to me that, like, Chris, you're doing the right things. You're... It doesn't matter if it's an audience of seven or 700. It's like that kind of intimacy will extend to 700. It's a, it's amazing how that kind of intimacy was for a small group, but it's easily comparable to a larger audience. Right. Anyway, I just wanted to, to tell you that <laughs> I was there. It was, it was probably one of the best shows well, that I've seen. Well, thank you very much. So I want to end. I do remember that. U- yeah. I,
1: I remember how unique and fun it was. Yeah. yeah
0: honestly, I, I, I want to tell people about it because there was only 10 of us in the room and it was, it was amazing. So, I want to end on... And Uh, I still got paid. (laughs) All the popcorn you can eat at the Comedy Works. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I want to finish off with a little bit of a kind of a lightning round mixed with some quick draw questions, a bit of this or that. I I promise uh, we'll finish this off and then I'll get you out of here. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for being here on uh, Ross Never Sleeps on the Never Sleeps Network. I'm here with Chris Locke. We're going to finish off this interview with a little bit of this or that. Would you rather? Some lightning round questions because I could talk to you forever. I'm a huge fan. I just have some like little questions that I think we can just bump out real quick. Okay. All right. You ready? TV or movies? Uh, Movies. Cocktail or beer? Ooh, cocktail. Oh, what kind Please? of cocktail? Let's go Dark and Stormy. Hey, I love that ginger. See, a little spice. I actually had this but we kind of heard the <laughs> little spice. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh Benjara or Lahortika? Benjara. Coffee or tea?
1: Tea. I'm a tea boy. Tea boy what kind of tea. Uh green tea. Plain TBH. Plain. Plain. Plain maybe some up. honey every now and then okay. if I'm feeling naughty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Favorite vegetable? Cheese,
1: I thought of carrot instantly, but it might be cucumber. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> favorite fast food?
1: It depends on how you cut them. Um, Favorite fast food? Like a good greasy cheeseburger. Probably like a Burger's Priest or a Big Smoke burger. All
0: right. Ooh. Ooh. Good stuff.
1: Or if you call like, you know, I, I also do like food court uh, Chinese food. Okay. You know? like with like chow mein noodles like and manchu like wok general tao's chicken yeah sure
0: oh yeah like sweet and sour pork Ooh,
1: oh i gotta get out of here i'm so hungry
0: <laughs> well this is not gonna help uh, favorite tv show growing up um pff, simpsons what's better today tv or movies
1: um well like you know the big budget tv
0: what's your favorite tv show now
1: i don't know i mean i was i was a big breaking bad guy oh yeah um, you know, I, I still, even though I've kind of fallen out of it, I still watch every Game of Thrones. Wow. As soon as it comes out.
0: It's a lot of work. Yeah. So much work. You don't watch it? I have to, people keep telling me to start. I'm a Black Mirror guy.
1: Oh, jeez! Ah, uh, right now, Black Mirror is my favorite for sure. The best. Even though I felt like the third season had a few more, like, duds, predict, they they were all exciting to watch, but they were predictable. Sure. You know, uh, the first season had that hook, man, that lawyer that was drunk and going over his own, uh, evidence in his mind over and over again. That's my favorite thing. Oh, nice. So you're a Black Mirror fan. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like, and that's the thing, like some of it's funny. Like Charlie Brooker is amazing.
0: Uh, Incredible.
1: Um, and yeah, I think like, yeah, I'm, I'm influenced by him and like uh, Chris Morris and guys like that.
0: I know you have cats, but if you had to choose dogs or cats,
1: well right now it's cats because you know what man dogs stink sometimes and they lick you all the time Hmm. like that pisses me off like maybe uh, you know cats get hair everywhere it's fine but they also chill and do their own thing sure like dogs always need your attention and they lick your shit
0: you're all about the less maintenance yeah (laughs) but what's it like having a baby now well because dog people are and i love both i love
1: all creatures man i love animals and trees more than I love humans. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I would gladly have a dog, no problem. But I'm. But you're just making me choose. But the thing is, is dog owners shit on cat owners so much. But that's the one angle I would take to defend cat owners. Is like, yeah, but you get to chill with this pet. Like it'll go and do its thing. You go do your thing. With a dog, it's like, man. I have a friend who has a dog. They got him right before they had two daughters whoa so now it's the neediest dog in the world so you're raising two kids one's two one's one years old and a dog is jumping on you scratching all the time for attention too like get out of here i'm always kind
0: of afraid of young kids with dogs i don't get it that's the thing
1: is licking their face
0: scratching them scratching them by
1: accident my mom's dog almost walked all over our baby when it was on the carpet (laughs) get out of here dogs
0: for a sec What's your favorite band of all time?
1: I'm such a music freak that... Who comes to mind? Uh, VOCs comes to mind right away. Wow. Yeah, a lot of people don't know how mega their history is. I mean, they've been around since the early 2000s, and they've changed in all these different forms. And that guy, the leader, John Dwyer, is a huge influence on me. Just his work ethic and how much he wants his audiences to freak out live.
0: Chris, I'm learning so much about you. <laughs> I, you're you're a deep dude.
1: Yeah. yes you
0: are i know you don't. you maybe think of yourself otherwise i don't know if it's a comedian thing but there's there's layers bud favorite physical activity or form of exercise
1: running running i know i'm out of shape and when i say that people uh laugh sometimes but i actually run and i really like running i still have a that's what i'm saying i have this belly i don't get it um but i my uh, it's peaceful for me
0: Oh, that's good. And, and
1: my brain feels clear after. Do
0: you ever do it with Kathleen?
1: Uh, no, she's faster than me. <laughs> it's true. For sure. I go at a chill pace and she's a little, like, sprightly thing that just bounces away. A yeah. little bit
0: of OCs in the ears running around the streets of High Park.
1: Well, when I first got into running, And then I got out of it, but for one year in 19, no, 2007, (laughs) 2007, 2008, I was running all the time. And John Dwyer from the OCs has this more insane band back in the day, not anymore called the Coach Whips. And it's really fast, sharp, trebly, like minute, two minute long punk songs that are just insane. And I would listen to that on my, I'd hold a disc man and run with that, uh, down by the lake. And that got me going but okay. yeah now i to be honest i can i listen to like beethoven or something hey yeah it's All pretty right. nice running through Hyde park with beethoven playing i bet uh is that pretentious or what
0: no <laughs> it, you gotta do what makes you feel good chris yeah thank you so much for coming on to the show
1: thanks for having me and anybody listening uh these are just, uh, it's the morning of the election. Trump won. I'm me and my wife woke up in a pretty down place because of that. This is mellow. All my opinions change all the time. Don't listen to me. <laughs> just have fun. I'm sorry. I called the, some pe rural people in America plebs or something. <laughs> Well, I love everybody. I wish we were all just in love with each other and not hating certain people.
0: Plug your socials. Cause that's definitely the best place to get a more positive <laughs> Chris lock on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. On Twitter, I'm at Chris lock fun and I'm kind of busy on that. Um, Instagram at Chris lock fun. I have a Facebook fan page and I have a Facebook profile and my friend Noah is helping me build a real website soon. So hopefully that'll be up. Also, Uh, I'm in Halifax, uh, November, I think it's 17, 18 or 18, 19. I forget. Next, basically next Friday, Saturday, two shows at the company house in Halifax. Then the following week, my good funny friends, Sarah Hennessy and Tom Henry and I are going on a road trip, uh, Kingston, Cornwall montreal ottawa i saw that so that's, that's wednesday lot. thursday friday saturday so if you're in any of those cities look it up it's on facebook and all that stuff yeah it looks
0: like an amazing little tour we're really excited
1: i love those guys
0: sarah and you are so funny together yeah absolutely cool thank you so much again for Thanks coming for, me. for coming on to ross never sleeps on the never sleeps network never sleepers sleep tight